All right, we are back. It's DFS Office Hours. It is Monday, October 2nd of 2023. Happy October to everyone out there. Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm the head coach here at SaberSim. If you watch Office Hours regularly, uh, might be expecting Andrew here. Uh, Andrew's got one more day of his vacation. He's back tomorrow if you're getting tired of me here uh, already. Uh, but we've got a busy Office Hours here today. We've got a bunch of questions in our queue that have come in over the weekend. So plenty of questions to answer. Uh, if you have questions for me live, you can pop them into the YouTube chat or into the Discord channel, uh, Office Hours channel in Discord. But it is a Monday here, so we need to kick things off. Uh, first things first, with the NFL Max Challenge uh, for this week. Uh, we've got a couple winners to announce, a quick giveaway to do here. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, this is probably one of the coolest parts about playing NFL DFS with SaberSim uh, during the football season. We do this every single year, giving away free prizes to folks that register for this contest, use the SaberSim avatar, and max out the Minimax tournament on DraftKings for the Sunday main slate each week here. Um, so I will quickly just pop this into the YouTube chat here, just in case you're seeing this for the first time. Uh, it's a great thing to be a part of here. Very easy to participate. And there's there's awesome rewards here. We Last year, we gave away a Yeti cooler. Uh, this year, for participating all 18 weeks, it is a Sonos Bluetooth speaker. Uh, if you haven't signed up already and you're not already playing this week to week here, uh, the 10-week prizes for participating in this for 10 weeks uh, is a pretty cool custom Saberson duffel bag. Uh, we do a free roll at the end of the season here. If you take down the contest, take down the Minimax, you get this awesome championship belt. We actually sent one of those out last week, which was pretty cool. We had our first bank of the season in the Minimax here uh last week so uh yeah awesome awesome thing to be a part of here uh our top finisher this week uh was i am dms uh finishing 60th with uh 228.3 it was a high scoring week this week here uh, a lot of guys went off pretty high scoring week overall so i am dms will get the saber sim hoodie uh, a ticket to the free roll that we run at the end of next season here. So congratulations to IM DMS. Uh, and we do also need to do our uh, giveaway here. So everybody that maxed the challenge out, had the Sabersim or maxed the contest out, had the Sabersim avatar uh, for week four gets entered into this quick drawing here. We'll do for 150 free tickets to play the contest next week. Um, so let's go ahead and rip that off here and we'll go ahead and start getting into office hours questions here. Uh, pull up my trusty wheel of names. Uh, I haven't done this in a while. Used to do this every single week. Um, now at, that Andrew's our, our main office hours guy, I haven't done the giveaway in a little while. So, uh, let's go ahead and let it rip. How many do we have in here? 222, um, for Minimax tickets next week. Let's do it. C.D. Pruess, seems like Pruess. Go ahead and get that copied here. I'll take a note of that. Um, we'll reach out to DraftKings, get your tickets on your account. Uh, make sure that that's all taken care of here for you for week five. And again, if you uh, are tuning in here, you got no idea what I'm talking about here. Uh, weekly Max Challenge. Um, it's just, just a lot of fun to be a part of this every single week. It's fun sweating all the Saberson logos up at the top. During the NFL Sunday, I'm watching Red Zone, keeping an eye on this contest here, seeing how everybody's doing, seeing what the highest uh, the highest logos are or the highest avatars are in, in the contest here. So um, pretty awesome stuff. Excited for, for week five here. But 
Uh, as I mentioned before, we have plenty of questions to get into here today. Uh, all kinds of different stuff. I saw some questions about, you know, setting up different rules, uh, different settings, how different settings work, some more theory kind of stuff. So uh, we've got plenty to get into here today. We'll go ahead and dive in. I'm going to just try to knock these out uh, in about the order that they came in here. Um, so uh, it looks like going back uh, a couple days to pick up this question from Matt um, here. Uh, and a good opportunity to show off the favorites tool. Is there a way to isolate a lineup within a build for a specific contest? Oh, let me get my screen set up here, right? Uh, so say I'm playing 25, five and a higher dollar, and then a 20 max with roughly the same amount of entries, lineups, and five primary teams. I would like to take the top rated lineup for each team into the five, and then the remaining 20 into the 20 max. Uh, I know I can unique rank fill, but sometimes I get a clump of one to two teams instead of the diversity I'm looking for. I notice that I can just favorite a whole build and just a handful of lines. Okay, so I'm a little a little confused here on just like overall what you're trying to do with the lineups, but I think uh, you can do this with the favorites tool. Um, and that's probably will get you sorted there. So this is new with Saberson 3.0. I'll get some lineups built here. Um, and I'll, I'll walk through this here. Um, but the short of it is you can favorite, you, you favorite your set of lineups. So you can't go through and like hand pick and say, add this lineup to favorites, but you can just, the easiest thing to do is just lock those lineups in and then set your number of lineups to whatever you actually need and then add those to favorites. So I'll, I'll show this here quickly. So let's say you're going through and presumably picking five lineups that you want to specifically play in the higher dollar, maybe something like that. Um, if you just went in and let's say like my five lineups, I'm hitting block on all these, right? So these are my one, two, three, and maybe say it's four and five. Um, you can then just set number of lineups equal to five, leaving the five lineups that you have locked and then add those to your favorites, right? So that's going to add your five in there. And then from there, you can get a different set of 20 here. You could hand pick a different set of 20. You could trash these five and then get your next best 20 to make sure you're not like duplicating your lineups there. Um, the favorites tool here is just basically, this was built exactly to do this kind of thing. It's like a, it's kind of like a fake build where you can send lineups to it and store them there so that you could ultimately then fill later using the favorites build. Um, so in terms of hand picking lineups, out of your pool. I think that's the easiest way to go about it. Lock the lineups in, set the number of lineups to the number of lineups you locked and send them all to favorites. Probably your easiest thing to do. Um, I do think like a add to favorites button on the lineup card itself would probably be useful to speed that up in the future. Um, probably something we could build out on our end, but that is the, uh, that's probably, probably gets you sorted there, Matt. Let me know if you're still uh, having trouble with that. Happy to, to dive back in, but um and then another quick question here from Cole. Uh, do team stacks always include the QB for NFL? Uh, so would a running back or defense stack be considered a team stack? No. So for um, NFL here, actually, let me get this sorted here real quick. Um, get into the right savers in account here. All right. Um yeah, the Monday to Thursday is fine. So yeah, so all of these team stacks here assume a quarterback. So um, stack exposure, if you're looking at stack exposure, the primary stacks include a quarterback. Obviously, it says QB plus whatever. Secondary stacks do not. Um, 
but they all everything in the team stacks is assuming like that is the primary stack so if you increase uh your min exposure to seattle stacks of 15 percent uh, you are essentially saying also 15 percent min exposure to geno smith so um cool uh fun one here from jacko um looks like there was some discussion in the discord on this as well um, kind of carries over to something we were talking about here last week. And I see some questions coming in live in YouTube chat already. Uh, we will get to everything on today's stream. I promise I'm going to hit the questions in Discord first. Uh, but this one here, uh, thinking about portfolio construction, is there a way to find the top set of risk-adjusted ROI lineups, then build positively and negatively correlated lineups to those to optimize a portfolio? Uh, for example, with stocks, you build a portfolio that's long an index ETF, then buy a leveraged short ETF to hedge against that exposure. So not directly. Um, there are some kind of creative things that you can do here to um, kind of get close to doing that. And we were talking about this a little bit last week as well. Um, but there, it doesn't happen directly. And it is important to note that when you build lineups with SaberSim here and then run the contest sim, that each lineup that has its ROI is independent of the other lineups that you're playing alongside it, right? The way that the contest sim works is it takes each lineup in your pool and it puts it into a contest made up of your field lineups with the payout structure defined by your settings. And then it simulates that contest 100,000 times for that given lineup. And then it goes to the second lineup in your pool and does that again. But when you actually run this contest sim, it doesn't when it goes to send the second lineup, it doesn't assume that you're playing the first lineup. So it's not necessarily capturing that one, like your portfolio is uh, as a whole is risk adjusted. That's that's not really part of it. And it's also not thinking about the cannibalization of your own EV in that contest, which for really large NFL contests isn't going to make a huge difference. But if you're playing like very, very small contests, you know, maybe dropping 20 lineups into a uh, 1000 person contest or something like that. There is some element of playing very, very similar lineups across your entire set of 20 uh, is a little bit of a, um, there's some EV cannibalization that starts to take place there. Not only is it um, pretty risk tolerant as an approach, but if you're also, some of your lineups are going to be competing mostly with your own lineups, which is why diversification through min uniques uh, is something that we have been stressing very aggressively with contest sims so far. So it's important to note that. Um, I will say for this question specifically, uh, one of the ideas that somebody watching this show last week put in front of me that I do think is pretty intriguing is running your contest sim. So let's set up like a basic contest sim here uh, and taking your set of lineups that are maybe, maybe you have some kind of set of candidate lineups that you're willing to play that maybe pass some certain ROI threshold. I've been exploring this all weekend here. So you could run your contest sim and say, I'm going to take each lineup that is above zero ROI or above hundred ROI or, or some ROI threshold, and then sim those lineups against themselves, right? And what that will kind of naturally pull out of that second contest sim is a, any any lineups that are very similar to each other in that second simulation that is run will be punished in the second sim, right? Um, so I don't know if Jacko is here. I hope I'm not just like speaking to the void and confusing everybody else that's watching this right now. Um, but that I think is probably a decent way to get close to what you're trying to do. You're not 
literally going to hedge against your port your your portfolio in like a in the way that you've kind of described with like stocks that you would be doing here but you are at least going to push those those lineups that you're ultimately playing to be different from each other um because you are simulating them against each other in the second sim there so the short short answer is running that initial contest sim to get your rois in the actual contest you're entering them into but i think a second contest sim uh, against that subset of lineups that you're willing to play i think there's something there i've been kind of playing around with that here this weekend i like the way it worked for my lineups last this weekend um and yeah so that's that's where i would start and i think there's probably um some creative things that you could go from from there so uh let's keep going uh question from nika here Uh, is the only way to put a player in the last is the only way to put a player from the last round of games to create a new stack with only those teams? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, if I'm understanding the question correctly, um, first of all, because this tends to come up around this time of year every time here, uh, we do have some logic to use the player playing in the latest game into the flex spot in your builds. So provided that it doesn't mean there will be a player in the flex spot in the latest round of games in every single lineup, there could be a lineup that's made entirely from the early games. Uh, but assuming that there is a player playing in the late window in your lineup, that player will always be used uh, in your flex spot. So see a lot of Christian McCaffrey's in your flex spot this past weekend, or at least I did a lot of uh, Keenan Allen's in your flex spot, that kind of thing. So, um, that, that player will be used there. If you wanted to like ensure that a player from those late games was used into all of your lineups, I think rather than forcing a stack, because a stack is going to force a quarterback stack in there, um, assuming you just want a player, I think the easiest thing to do would be to just create a quick manual group. Um, will require a little bit of clicking, but if you just went in here, created the group and grabbed you know, the three teams like this, um, we could just... Does the shift click work here? It does not. So, I mean, you don't need to get every single player. There's probably an actual limit of how many uh, players you actually want here. Um, but go down the list, click all these in, and then some kind of at least one rule would say, maybe you don't want the defenses. I don't know. Um, but at least one of every player playing in that late window, probably the easiest way to get that done. Um, so a decent thing if you want some late swap flexibility, if you think you're going to be, um, you know, maybe one thing we've talked about before is if you are going into the afternoon games with some like significant pending news, like a true game time decision uh, at running back for a team or something like that, uh, that can be useful where you're, you're trying to make sure that you have that flexibility heading into the late window. Um, I think that translates a little bit better to NBA because we almost always have that kind of news pending on a given NBA slate, but to definitely work for NFL on the right slate as well. That's probably the way I would go about doing that. So, uh, Mac Kraken here said, it used to be common in late swap strategy that you should use cash settings in late swap. Is that still recommended or has that changed? I probably wouldn't. I think the idea here for doing that would be the field isn't going to swap as much as they should or swap optimally, especially if big news breaks. Um, so just jamming in the elite plays that open up as news is breaking throughout the slate just gives you an edge. I, I think in NFL in particular, I would be cautious of doing that 
because when you switch to cash um, or just like turn down your sliders and just build the top optimals or something like that, you are going to put your stacks at risk. Like if you have a lineup that is heavily built on the late games, maybe like a game stack of the Chargers Raiders this past weekend, and then using some players from these late games, and maybe you've only got like two players from the early games in the lineup at all, uh, switching to cash is basically going to destroy that lineup because it's it's not it's going to take away it's almost certainly going to take away the stack that was originally in that lineup and just jam in top point per dollar plays. I think in basketball you could probably get away with this. Um, you wouldn't take into account the true ranges of outcomes of players and you wouldn't really leverage well against ownership, but it's a lower correlation sport where when that value opens up because a guy's starting at point guard at three three K or something like that, um, jamming that player in is going to give you a little bit of an edge there. Uh, but in football, I would be very, very cautious of doing this. Um, the other, the other thing here is, um, we around this time last year, um, so if you've, if you haven't been with Sabersim in a while, when we used to late swap on Sabersim, it would just take each lineup in your pool and rebuild it once and say, okay, this is now your new version of this lineup. Uh, when you late swap now, it rebuilds a pool of lineups, just like it does before lock. So each lineup in your original set gets swapped, you know, X times, hundred times, 250 times, something like that. Basically pool size divided by number of lineups time. And then we sort those lineups based on Saber score, or you can run a contest sim on those. So all of this is to say there's a lot more security in your late swaps on Sabersim now because we're swapping each lineup a bunch of times and identifying the best swap to go to. There used to be a problem I felt on Sabersim where you there was a lot of natural variance in what that lineup got swapped to, right? Because you were only swapping it. You were only we were only attempting the swap one time. And I used to recommend at times people especially if big news broke to turn down their sliders when late swapping quite a bit to just capture the new uh, projections from the players as news was breaking. And I don't think you really need to do that as much anymore because now when you swap, you know, if I swapped, if I swapped a 20 max build, for example, building a pool of 5,000 lineups, each lineup would get built. Each lineup would get swapped 5,000 divided by 20 times. And there would be that many options for each lineup to swap into. And it's very likely that you're still playing a good one. So um, anyway, I, I would not, short version, I wouldn't swap on cash, especially for football. And I don't think you're gaining much to do it for something like NBA. So um, Nola Noel had a similar question here. We covered this at the start. Um, so uh Feature request, ability to favorite individual lineups within a build rather than the full set. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a good idea, period, but you should be able to kind of hack it through with the um, locking lineups, changing your number of lineups to the number of lineups you locked and sending those all to favorites. So, um, all right, cool. Question from Gary here. A couple questions, actually, it looks like. Uh, question around showdown type contest. Sam trying to build 100 lineups. I want five different game scripts or outcomes or scores. If I make a pool of 5,000 lineups and then change the team totals, will that change the top rated lineups I'm getting in the build and the corresponding projections to the Sims that meet those team totals? Uh, then can I save those lineups, then move to my next game script in the same build? I tried to do this in multiple builds, but then I ended up with dupe lineups in my favorites. Also, what happens if I have custom projections? Does it still update when I have team totals? Okay, so quite a bit to unpack here. Let's bounce back to our showdown slate for tonight. Um, and, oh, I'm going to have to rebuild this here. So 
Let's talk a little bit about team totals. Um, and especially there is some nuance here on when. Oh, well, actually, no, there isn't. Um, so what, what happens when you change team totals, right? So if we adjust the team totals and we say, let's say that this is going to be a terrible football game and we go maybe a 14-13 game is your cup of tea. I don't know. It's not really mine. So we go 14-13. Um, what is happening here is we are going into our simulations for the game and we are sub-selecting a set of sims so that the new mean point totals for each team is 14-13 Giants, right? And then we are adjusting each player's projection to what their projection, average projection is in that sim subset. That's what is happening here behind the scenes. Um, so it's a pretty cool way to attack these different game scripts. Um, if you have a different stance on the slate or just want to take an angle, uh, it, the nicest thing about this is you don't have to figure out what this means for each individual player yourself. Uh, the Sims kind of handle that part here. Um, let's reset this here and, or at least attempt to, there we go. Um, let's now build some lineups. So, because there is a little bit of nuance here. So if you're building your lineups this way, right? So we haven't made any adjustments pre-build. What's happening here is I'm building a pool of 500 lineups at Sim Diversity 10. So we're going into our Sims and we're taking out 500 game simulations using the default game simulations and building the optimal lineup for those different Sims. So these are the optimals for where the mean outcome of this game is 24 to 22. 24 to 22. Now, if we come back here and do the same thing and change these again, it is going to do this, it, this. The logic, the underlying logic is going to do the same thing here. It's going to go look at the games where this is the mean, adjust the player projections from there and make those adjustments. And now if we change, I think you may have to change this back and forth for this to actually take, but we should get a different, let's see. Do we get a different sort there? Let me try this again. I just want to see if this is actually changing. Let's see what the sort actually is here as well. Sim optimals, projection, and adjusted ownership. Um, so it should change at least a little as we are doing this here. I think you do have to change the sort here back and forth though, for it to kind of take projected score. I don't know. It doesn't really seem like it's changing that much. It's possible that it's just the same score here. This lineup is 471. It should at least go down, right? Sorry, I'm just trying to verify that this is actually changing. Okay, so you can kind of see that this is changing as we make the change on the projections here. Um, so it is recalculating. Okay. So I realize I'm kind of all over the place with this particular question. So um, it is updating the player projections and then resorting the saver score. Um, it's not going to have as big of an impact as having changed the projections ahead of time because the lineups are already built. So the lineups were already built for the, the mean game script. And now you're just changing them to sort the new lineups to the top 
with the new custom projections. Um, the main reason that this isn't changing significantly is because the uh, Sabre score for a single game heavily weights sim optimals, which is how many times was that lineup optimal in the original build. So you're generally going to get lineups, the same lineups at the top, making these kinds of adjustments here after the build because they're not often changing how optimal that they're not changing at all how optimal that lineup was when we built it. So I, I promise you I'm coming around to a practical point here. Gary, what I would probably recommend then instead is after you have made the adjustment for each game script you want to run to rebuild those lineups. Um, and that will require you to make two custom additional changes above and beyond what we have here, um, which is kind of a bug. But when you do that, you should be able to rebuild the lineups here. Um, that will do a better job of capturing your game scripts. So if you truly want five different game scripts, I would set the game script, build the lineups, favorite the lineups you want out of that script, then update your projections, rebuild, favorite those lineups coming out of those scripts. Because it's going to do a better job of floating the lineups to the top of your sorting method that are actually the optimals for that particular game script. Um, so I think actually the way that you described it is the way I would do it here. Um, if you do have the, you, you may end up duping yourself doing that. Um, I... I'm trying to think about a way to creatively avoid that. Um, let's try something here. If we send those 20 to favorites and then I send them again. Let's see. You still have the same 20. Let's try this. Okay, so the good news is, is it doesn't look like it will, it won't duplicate, it won't send duplicates to favorites. So you could go through this process, building your five different game scripts, sending a package of lineups to favorites each time. And if a lineup already appears in favorites, it won't send it again. So that that's what I would probably try to do is like run the five, send the lineups there, Make sure that your lineups adds up to the number you actually need. If it doesn't, send more. That's probably the way I would handle that. Um, and it is also worth noting on your last question here, what happens if um, I have custom projections? If you have custom projections, the team totals will not do their thing um, because we don't really know how to parse both the changing sims and the changing custom projections. So if you've already set custom projections, making a change to your team totals will not change anything. Or it will not change any player who already has a custom projection. So. All right, let's keep it rolling here. Uh, I want to know a little more about what's happening with the correlation slider. I understand the sim diversity extremes pretty well. Uh, what is happening if we do a 10-10 build? Is the high correlation having the builder sift through the single sims to find the highest correlated events, or is it using the correlation data to build totally different lineups? It is closer to the latter. So it is closer to using correlation data to build totally different lineups. Basically what happens here, if we bounce back to the main slate here, 
is um, so the sim diversity slider kind of happens first. It controls how large the bucket of simulations being used to build each lineup is. And it sets for any given lineup, it sets the player projections to a um, to what they scored in that set of sims. The correlation slider then determines how much of a factor the correlations between players should be used when the lineups are constructed. Um, and what actually happens there is pretty cool. Uh, we call it upside correlation. So as the lineup is being built, um, say uh, AJ Brown gets put into that lineup, that first lineup as it's being constructed, right? Well, we will look at in the simulations where AJ Brown is having, say, a 95th percentile outcome, how much more likely should that make us want to put Jalen Hurts into the lineup? Uh, the higher the correlation slider is, the more it's going to want to do that, right? So if correlation is at zero and AJ Brown goes into the lineup, it is purely going to look if it's deciding, do I want to play, uh, I guess this is for week eight or this is for uh, week five here, but it's going to say, uh, did Jalen Hurts or Patrick Mahomes score higher in this bucket? It doesn't care that AJ, AJ Brown is correlated to Jalen Hurts. If Patrick Mahomes scored more in that bucket, it's going to put Mahomes in. As the correlation slider gets higher and higher, it's going to make positive correlation-based concessions to create correlation in your lineup. So even if if you put A.J. Brown into the lineup and Jalen Hurts scored 22 points in the sim and Patrick Mahomes scored 23 points in that sim bucket, it's going to put Jalen Hurts in there because he's positively correlated to A.J. Brown, right? That's basically what the correlation slider is going to do, is it's going to uh, kind of give a boost to positively correlated players as the bucket is getting made uh, or as the as the lineup is getting made from that bucket, and it's going to punish negatively correlated players as that lineup is getting built. So that is the the way it works. Let me know if that that's clear. Happy to to talk about that a little bit further as well here. Um, Comic FX here had a question. Uh, please explain the new settings for automatic group lineup rules in the uh, older versions of SaberSim under the group by the positions have the actual positions. Now it simply says captain or flex. Um, I don't think that has changed. Those discrepancies there are just the difference between the classic game type and the showdown game type. So if you're viewing the showdown game type, you're going to see captain and flex show up there. If you are viewing classic, you are going to see uh, the actual individual positions here. Um, I personally think that the individual positions, having them here would probably be more useful than having Captain Flex anyway. We've been talking about making a change on our end to support that, but that is not, that's not new. So um, the, the Captain and Flex positions are just what shows up here for a showdown. Um, you can kind of hack this based on using stat requirements if you want to do some kind of like quarterback type rule. So like, let's say you're, let's say you want to make a rule where you say, if I'm using a quarterback at the captain, use three pass catchers from the team, right? You could put that in and basically say, if a captain is used and then just put a stat requirement in that would only, only a quarterback would have pass attempts greater than five, for example, you are now basically saying if captain quarterback, and you could come around on the other side and say then at least three flexes on the same team with receptions greater than two or something like that, right? And that would kind of hack together the the positional 
groups that you would expect on like the classic slate. So the stat requirements can be kind of useful there to help out. Um, if we created this just so we could see it, this is going to make two rules. One for Daniel Jones saying, and you know, if you don't, maybe Daniel Jones, I guess both these guys have a little bit of rushing upside, but Daniel Jones presumably has a little bit more. Um, but if Daniel Jones, then three of these guys in the flex, right? If Geno Smith, then three of these guys. So, um, Point Blank asked, and we are getting close-ish here in the Discord uh, questions here. So we'll we'll hop into the YouTube live chat here in just a sec. Um, is it considered normal to maybe lose 25% of your buy-ins on a typical slate and maybe hit four or five times your buy-ins every once in a while? Uh, Matt responded in Discord and said, those sound like exceptionally good results um, and expect to do much worse going forward unless you're playing really small contests. I agree. That actually, I, I would say you're, that's, that's, I wouldn't say that's normal. I would say that's actually pretty good. Uh, we've got a lot of questions in our email inbox over the past weekend um, of folks asking, you know, hey, I I tried things out. I watched the video. I played this weekend and I didn't do so well. Did I do anything wrong? And the answer is no, right? Like DFS and GPPs in particular is a very long process of losing slowly before you capture all of your EV generally on one or two big wins where you're recouping the losses and making a little bit of profit. Um, we did a bankroll simulation last summer that was ultimately used to build out our DFS profit plan, which is our our plan for contest selection and bankroll management in DFS. And we found this was done for MLB, but it's very similar for other sports that even for a profitable player, a player with a 10% ROI over the long term, the expectation should be only profiting. That is anything in the green, right? I'm not saying winning a contest. I'm not saying top 1%. I'm saying you should expect to profit at all on a slate about six days a month if you played every single day, right? That's average expectation. And that's still over the long term going to, at least in the sim we ran, arrive at your 10% ROI um, over the long term. But that's that's uh, 24 losing days a month. So you think about for, for football, right? If you're playing just the NFL Sunday main slates, that's your expectation of profitable slates should be maybe three of the entire year. And that's any profit whatsoever. Like that's kind of the variance of the game that we're all we're all playing here, right? And in football, I mean, it, the contest can be pretty pretty massive. So the, the swings can can even be worse than that. That's the average experience. So something to keep in mind, which is why the contest selection and bankroll management is so important. That's the DFS profit plan that we developed. There's a video on our YouTube channel walking through it was basically the combination of the right amount of contests and the right amount of bankroll to invest per slate to minimize that variance as much as possible while keeping your um, profit potential as high as possible. And if you're not following that, you can make those numbers a lot worse for yourself than even the average. So yeah, good question. Um, all right. A couple questions here from looper boss here. Um, if I want to run a quarterback naked, I've tried to exclude certain teams in the lineup rules to do that, but it seems I won't get any of the QBs I, I want naked. When I add another rule to stack quarterback plus less than or equal to one running back wide receiver or tight end and exclude the teams I don't want to run naked, I won't get any in the lineups. It appears there's a conflict with these two rules in the lineup builder. 
Any suggestion as to how to accomplish this without running a new build for the naked quarterbacks? Um, yeah, I mean, so Saberson is not really going to want to run quarterback plus zero stacks too often, period, right? Like it, you'll get a handful in your build by default, but not very many because of the correlation slider. Like it's it's generally going to prefer, even for Russian quarterbacks, right? It's generally going to prefer to put DJ Moore or Cole Komet in your Justin Field stacks, right? It's generally going to want to throw Michael Pittman into your Anthony Richards uh, Richardson stacks, right? Like it's still, the QB plus zero doesn't show up too often. So the way I would probably set it up is to make the rule for your quarterback that you do want to stack, right? So, and it sounds like you already kind of have this. Um, I'm trying, I'm trying to think this, this through here. Um, let's at least experiment with this. So if exactly one quarterback is used, then at least one, let's say you just want to do wide receiver or tight end, right? So this is kind of our baseline rule and we would make this and let's say that maybe Anthony Richardson and I don't know, Daniel Jones. This is for next week again. Maybe Desmond Ritter. I, I don't something like that. Maybe, maybe you play Jalen Hurts as a naked sack. I don't know. Whatever. Get that set and uncheck those. That at this point, this is saying every other quarterback needs to have a wide receiver or a tight end. These ones can be played naked. If you wanted to then make sure that they were only played that way, I would probably instead just do a basic manual group for them. Uh, yeah, I think I probably would. I think I would probably just set that up then and go this way and grab Anthony Richardson. But I don't, I don't know if I would recommend this to be honest, because it's not like really the way you want you, the way you would want this group to be is like, I'm willing to play these as quarterback plus zero stacks, but I don't need to force that. Right. I think that's probably the problem you're running into with your rules here is like, I would be very cautious about forcing in QB plus zeros, allowing them in seems to be enough to me. And if they get there, they get there. But if they don't, they don't. Um, if you really did want to force it, then I would say, you know, probably the way you would want to do that is pick the handful that you want here and throw in Anthony Richardson on one side and the pass catchers on the other. Right. I guess you could put the Colts defense in there too. do that. And then from there, if you aren't, so there, in theory, your, your rule is set up at that point. From there, if you're not getting enough of those stacks that you want, that's probably the time to start bumping up the projection, right? Because now you're going to start kind of boxing in Saberson and saying, okay, I'm going to project Anthony Richardson really well for this game. I'm going to set a rule that he can't be used with any of his, of his pass catchers and the builder will should get kind of where you want to go. But I would be... DFS strategy wise, I would be cautious of saying that any quarterback in your pool should only be played with zero pass catchers. That seems very rigid and very thin. The line you were trying to get on that lineup being optimal at that point. So, um, second question: um, Is there a way I can set a maximum salary used for a stack along those lines? I'd like to be able to specify which teams I would allow for a double stack. I suppose I could go team by team and group. Um, yeah, you can do this here. Let's think this one through here. Um, this would be done with a stat requirement. Um, 
Maximum salary used for a stack. I actually, now that I'm thinking this through, I don't think you can do the salary for the stack as a whole. You can do individual players, but you can't do this. I don't think you can do the stack as a whole. Um, or at least I don't, I don't think, I can't think of a cr creative way to get that done. Uh, you can add salary as one of your requirements here um, in your, your stacking rule. So you could do something to the effect of, you know, if quarterback used use a wide receiver at least salary X or no more than salary Y, but I don't think you can salary group the rule as a whole. Um, in terms of which teams you would allow to double stack, that would be kind of the same way we had just broken it out here. So in that case, I would probably create the two rules, right? So rule number one here is the teams that Rule number one here would be, well, let me think. Um, okay, so I would group out the rule of teams that you're not willing to double stack first. So if a quarterback is used, then exactly one pass catcher, right? And figure out what are those teams. So you have 20 here. So maybe you are never playing a Desmond Ritter double. Or no, sorry. It would you would keep the teams checked that you are never playing a double stack for. So maybe like you're willing to play a Patrick Mahomes double stack. So you uncheck Mahomes. Um, and then you could build out the other rule. So you'd uncheck all of those, you'd build out the other rule here. That would be in this case, it would be the same logic if quarterback. If quarterback, then instead of exactly, it would be at least, which would give the flexibility to build more than just one and, and double stack it. Um, and then final question here, uh, is there a way to min-max a stack pairing? Say I want to play player A with one of player B or C in only 10% of my rosters. Can I do that? No. You can't set exposures to combinations of players. Um, what you can do is use the min uniques tool post build. Let me turn some of these rules off here. So when you build your lineups and build out your pool, uh, the min uniques tool I think is probably going to be your best bet for reducing clumping of your lineups. And I actually personally think it's better because it's going to do it in a way that the Setting exposures to combinations of players is somewhat arbitrary, right? Like you might be, well, I want 10% of this and 15% of that and 10% of that. Ultimately, you're kind of guessing on what that right number is supposed to be. Uh, and even amongst those lineups that are, you know, maybe say only 10% of my lineups contain this combination of players, you are, you those 10% of your lineups may still be very similar to one another. What Min Uniques does is it takes your set as a whole and says each lineup must have five players different from one another, which is going to mean as a portfolio, as your lineup set as a whole is going to be differentiated um, and diverse. And I think that's a, personally, I think it's a better way to go about doing it. Um, so, um, all right. USN said, I still can't figure out how to view late swap with Saber 3.0. Help please. Um, there is a good tutorial that walks through late swap kind of in full here um in our support.sabersim.com documentation here um how to late swap which will kind of 
walk through it. Um, you can't see it for a slate that hasn't started yet. Let's see, though. Should be able to get it here. Um, maybe you can't see it for a completed slate as well. Let's try something here. I think I think with Saberson 3.0, it is it is uh, only visible truly when the late swap. Let me try this. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think on 3.0, it the late swap is is truly only there when you can late swap, but it'll show up in two places. It'll show up as a button right here to the left of download selected entries. They'll say late swap, and you can just check the entries that you want to play and swap it. Uh, you can also swap from a build by right-clicking any build tab. So say it's Sunday afternoon, you're getting ready to late swap your lineups, uh, right-click and late swap from a build. That will just basically take the settings that were used for that original build and the lineups that came out of that build and late swap those. So two buttons there. Um, but it will show up for a slate that is in progress. So. All right. I'm going to get us caught up on the last couple questions that came in ahead of Discord before we started the stream here in Discord, and then we'll jump over to the live chat. Thank you, everybody, for, for being patient here. Uh, watched a couple of videos where during showdowns, it was mentioned to keep it at one min uniques when using contest sims and our... R-A-R-O-I and filtering only positive lineups. Is that still the case or would you recommend staying at one? Um, showdowns is kind of an interesting one. Personally, I I tend to leave my min uniques at one when I'm building my showdown lineups. I think with just six players in the lineup and it being a contest type where you're basically kind of all in on trying to find the optimal lineup, I think you just start to quickly eliminate really good lineups from your pool when you set min uniques even at two and showdowns is just a game type where you have to be comfortable with the variance and you have to be comfortable that you can play optimally and lose all of your entry fees on any given showdown that's just the way that the game this game type plays so i think you get a little bit less out of diversifying anyway i guess what i'm trying to say is even increasing your min uniques to diversify your pool doesn't really smooth out your ranges of outcomes in the same way it does for a classic slate. So there's also, depending on what your process of, of looking at duplication, things like that looks like, you might find that your pool of viable lineups that you're actually willing to play in the contest is a lot smaller than what it is in a classic slate. So for all those reasons, I tend to leave min uniques at one for most showdowns. Um, I think going through and filtering out the lineups that don't grade out profitably is still great run your contest sim, create the filter, and go from there. But I like to leave min uniques at one for showdown most of the time here. So, uh, And then Kyle said, is there a way to put uh, diff min min different min maxes in for captains and flexes in showdown? I can only get min max exposure to save with captain. Uh, it's a little wonky with the upload at the moment. Something I'm looking at on my end here. Um, the, whether you're uploading with a name or DFS ID, I've found that it's, it's a little wonky with the way that min and max exposures get uploaded for showdown. Um, so I would try to do as much as you can directly in the app. It should save for you correctly here. 
Um, I know this is a little tedious if you're trying to set like global min and max exposures, but that is how I would get it done for now. Um, I'd also keep in mind that, especially if you're on, it looks like you're on the pro plan here. So you can build up to 5,000 lineups with your pool. It will take a little while, takes a few minutes, but you can build up to 5,000. You will have a very diverse and flexible pool already. It, it might be easiest to just build your 20 or build your 5,000 with, with none of the restrictions, get those sim optimals, and then set your min and max exposures to get more or less of the players that you want after the build. And only then, if you're finding that you're not able to get where you want to, rebuild those lineups and go from there. If you're setting global min and max exposures for every captain and flex in the pool, like I've seen people that ask this question tend to want to do, you are disrupting the ability of Saverson to build sim optimals. Because when it's building lineup five, for example, it, it may have pulled a sim out of the hat where DK Metcalf was the optimal captain. But because of your max exposure that you had set to DK Metcalf, it can't put him into that lineup. So it uses Tyler Lockett or it uses Kenneth Walker, maybe as a better example, in the captain in that particular lineup. But that lineup is built on a sim where Kenneth Walker was not the optimal captain. So you end up with this weird kind of per lineup that's stuck in purgatory where maybe it's a lineup that actually wasn't optimal in any of our sims. But it built that lineup for you because you said only uh, one out of every six lineups can use DK Metcalf as the captain, right? So those kinds of things you should be careful of, I think, with over-restricting over the build ahead of time. When you build 5,000 lineups and then set your min and max exposures after, what you're doing instead is saying, build me, build me 5,000 optimals. Build me 5,000 optimal lineups that were optimal for a given simulation. And then when you set a max exposure after, you're saying, give me some other lineups where not DK Metcalf was the captain, for example. And it's just, I think, a little bit... These are kind of micro edges, but they're important. And I think it it gives you a little bit of a better result on the other side. So, um, and then one more question from Timmy here. This is the last question that came in in Discord before the show started. So I'll bounce over and hit the live questions in YouTube after this. Uh, if you're going to sim based on the contest you're entering, does it matter what you use for your build settings? For example, should I build different lineups for 150 max, 20 max, et cetera? Um, the build settings as a whole matter a lot less than the contest sim settings in terms of identifying what the best lineups are. And you can kind of see how important how you can see how important it is to split your lineups into different builds based on how much things change in your build settings. Um, for showdown, for example, you will see that they basically never change no matter what your contest is until you start getting down to very small single entries. Because in showdown for, for NFL showdown and most showdowns in general, you just want to find the optimal lineup, which is what 0-10 settings are going to do, right? So I, for showdown, I would build everything together and just have a big pool of optimals to work with and fill everything from there. For main slates, you'll see it's a little bit different here. So if we look at the next week's main slate here, um, there is a little bit more of a discrepancy between different contest types. I have found that splitting off your single and three single entry and three max contests into one kind of bucket and splitting off your 20 max and 150 max contests into a different bucket is generally a pretty good way to go. Where 20 max and 150 maxes generally have pretty close settings and the single entry and three maxes generally have pretty close settings. That also lets you then just have two contest sims to run, which simplifies that part of the process as well. So I would 
I like making that split for most classic slates. Uh, for showdowns, I'll just group everything together for the most part. So, all right, let's bounce over to the YouTube live chat. Um, Daniel, wondering your take on the approach for tonight's showdown. Um, I am going to refer you here to a video that I recorded, basically breaking down my exact showdown process, which is on our YouTube channel here, um, how to beat NFL showdown contests in 2023. This kind of walks through beginning to end how I actually go through the process of using SaberSim to build showdown lineups. If we have a little bit of time here towards the end of the show, we'll do a quick build for tonight. I'll talk about a couple things that I might think are interesting, but I would check this out. Um, this is a, a, this is why this video exists. Um, and it's, it's walking through exactly how I build and think about showdowns here. So, um, but I would say I can't help myself. Um, I typically like to take a look at like, just what, what's the spread in the game? What, what are the guys that are getting high ownership and just see, can I get a little bit different than that here? So close spread, relatively low total. Let's see who's popular. I just, it, when it ultimately comes down to it, most time in showdown, I just want to flip the popular game script. So it looks at first glance to me, like it is going to be a, a game where people play the quarterbacks at captain and probably fall into balanced builds quite a bit. That's what it looks like based on ownership projections, based on the spread, just based on how things are, are filling out here. I would probably lean more into any of the skill position players. And I like the idea of playing onslaughts in this game. I think this looks, this sets up like a slate where people are going to favor more balanced builds, expecting, expecting a close game. I think four, two Seattle stacks will probably be more popular given that the value players look like they're at Seattle here. Um, and they are slightly favored in this game. So I just kind of on a quick look, will be probably talking myself into um, Giants favored builds using not the quarterbacks at captain. So, and that's typically how I think about showdown is like, what does everybody think is going to happen? Okay. Give me the game Sims. Give me the optimals for the game Sims that the field is going to think are unlikely. Um, CC said, uh, trying to exclude tight ends from flex, but I can't do it without unchecking each one. Um, yeah, this is, this comes up all the time here. There is a tutorial as well in our help docs for this question, but, um, there's a couple different ways you can do this. I think the simplest is to get a new build here. Just a sec. Okay, is to go into the flex spot here. Uh, Right-click on position. Uh, check only the tight ends and then uncheck all of them. And that will remove all the tight ends from your flex spots. Uh, good afternoon. Can you show me how you use custom metrics? I wanted to add the sum projection of the lineup plus the highest risk, risk-adjusted ROI and win rate together to make a combined score. Is this possible? Uh, yes, it is. So let's do it here. Um, let's change the min uniques back down and get a basic contest sim set up here. Hopefully this works. I actually don't know if we have field lineups for next week set up yet. 
So we will have to see if we have that, but we can try. Looks like we do. Okay, so we'll get the contest sim going first here and run this here. And typically what I recommend when people are building custom metrics here is to put everything, is to normalize everything. So we will create a new metric. Um, and so we want the projection sum. So we'll do that first. And then this is what I mean. I typically recommend normalizing these out of 100. Just it makes it a lot easier to ultimately work with. When things are not normalized, the scales get strange and hard to, to navigate here. So we'll do projection, uh, risk-adjusted ROI here, um, which these will come from the contest sim that is starred in your settings, right? This star. So if you have multiple contest sims, keep an eye out for that. But um, oops, not a filter. Let's go back here. So projection, sum, normalized, um, risk-adjusted ROI, normalized and win rate. Um, keep in mind there, one thing to be aware of is that risk adjusted ROI already takes into account the win rate. So you are, you are, you are kind of double counting win rate or you are, uh, more heavily floating win rate. Like you're, you're more heavily floating lineups that, uh, get most of their EV from taking first into your pool. So just keep that in mind. Um, so this would basically be a custom metric that, Kind of did the thing that you wanted it to do here um from there you can play with weights right so i would recommend just starting these all at one 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 and you can sort by that um and just experiment with like what is the difference between sorting by this versus sorting purely by the roi right you can see what does that do to my exposures uh, what does that do to my leverage? Am I more or less aggressively taking stands on low-owned plays? Am I fading more chalk? Like, how does this, what is the overall look of these, this uh, this metric here? Um, and as needed, adjust these weights, right? So maybe you end up in a situation where you actually want um, projection to be half of the weight and uh, these two factors to be the other half split equally between the two of them. We can save this here. And now we're going to end up with a build that more heavily, oops, that's not the right one. Um, now you're going to end up with a sorting method that slightly rates raw projection a little bit higher compared to the contest sim metrics. So main thing, I like using normalized value for um, things that have different weights in there as your method. What's it called? As your, I guess it doesn't have a name. Whatever this is called right here. Um, and then it, just experiment with what happens with your sorting methods and um, as you're changing weights to dial that in there. Um, Teflon, this is a bug. So yeah, your your player filter set here will disappear each time you build lineups. Um, if you set a filter here and then build, they will be honored for that build. But then if you rebuild after that, they will not. You'll have to re-add them back in. It's on our list. Um, it is in, our, in the queue for a fix. Uh, Franklin said, how do you make builds with only the QBs from the same game in college football? Uh, let's do it. That will be another group here. Uh, let's go to Saturday.
Um, and we'll build the group out. Something to the effect of um, if a quarterback then must play a quarterback from the opposing team. And you will probably have to do it with stat requirements here. So what I would probably do, because right now, like the super flex position is a little weird. So I would say um, if a, actually you could just group this, eh, might as well group it by team. Um, but what I would do is you could just leave all these checked. If a player with pass attempts greater than five, then use at least one player from the opposing team with pass or pass attempts greater than five. And if we build that, can double check that our rules get made the way we like here, but that should basically create uh, basically always game stacking in every single lineup. Um, Ryan said, thoughts on the edge and MLB DFS in the playoffs? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think there's things that are going to start popping up in baseball playoffs that, to be completely honest, our Sims are not going to take into account perfectly. Like teams get a little more uh, specific on how players are pinch hit for and how the bullpen is managed. Like the game is played like a little bit smaller almost um, with teams kind of pushing individual edges. And I think the, the sim itself does not pick up on the fact that there is a difference between a game played in the regular season and a game played in playoffs in terms of how those teams play or the risks that are taken or, or things like that. Um, that stuff can be hard to quantify. So I think I, I would say my answer kind of is twofold here. I would say it is probably fair to assume that the edge in baseball playoffs, if you are kind of just pushing the button and playing the lineups that you are getting, is probably a little bit lower than it was in the regular season. However, there is probably an opportunity. There's probably is, is an increased opportunity to make more adjustments to try to maybe capture those kinds of things um, with player projections or your player pool or different things like that. And Honestly, I don't know at where I would take that. Uh, but if you have a read on, you know, maybe a player that's more likely to get pinch hit for, or in, if you're playing the showdown games, if you have a sense on how, like what the most likely relief pitchers are to come out of the bullpen in a given game based on how the, the, the team matches up there. I think there are, I think there are more edges available to you to make adjustments than there might be in the regular season but I think your edge for just building what you get and letting those lineups go is probably a little reduced because the, the way that the teams are thinking about those games is a little bit different. So um, Patrick said, it came on late with this video will be posted later. Yep. The recording's always up on YouTube later. Um, normally with timestamps as well. So you can go back and see what, what specific questions got asked. Uh, the Mish said, can you clarify on how to best use the dupe metric in the contest sims? Does this value represent the number of dupes in the contest sim field, or is it intended to represent something else? It is precisely the number of dupes in the contest sim field. 
That is exactly what it represents. And at the moment, those contests and fields are capped at a maximum of 5,000 lineups. So it is not a duplication calculator for the contest sim, for the contest that you are actually playing it in, right? If I come over here and we take the Sanderson ownership build and I say it's a 250,000 person lineup, right? And we sim this, let's do this 100,000 times. The Saberson ownership build is built from a field of 5,000. It is not It is not calculating this is how many dupes we think a 250,000 person contest is going to have. It's This is how many times this lineup showed up in our 5,000 lineup field. Um, I think it is useful as a signal of what kinds of lineups might be duped heavily, right? If this lineup is showing up as duped six times here in a 5,000 person field, you can combine this with, you know, thinking especially also as a, about projected score and salary. And I think you can use it as a signal to find lineups that might be heavily duped, right? Um, if we filter, this is just, an, just as an example here, if we filter and say show lineups with dupes less than one, right? So only the lineups that were at least unique amongst the field, the contest sim field, right? This is not going to mean that these lineups are unique, played into a massive contest, but it gives you some idea of maybe some creative ways to build lineups that are less likely to be duped. Um, it's, it is something that we want to flesh out more as we can build out larger and larger fields. Um, but even if we had a field size of 250,000 and could calculate dupes in that field precisely, there would still be some issues with if everybody using Saversim sees the same top-rated unique lineup, that lineup's not going to get unique when the contest actually gets played. So there is some metagame of, of dupe calculations that that happens here that you should just kind of be aware of when, when thinking about dupes, period. But I do think it is a useful signal to see that, you know, we're building a field of 5,000 lineups based on an industry aggregate projection. And in that 5,000, this lineup got duplicated seven times. And thinking about that as a signal for what types of lineups might be less common here. Um, so, yeah. Um, all right. Timothy said, if you were going to sim based on the contest you're entering, does it matter? Oh, we had, I answered this one already. We already got to that one. Um, and Teflon, we already got to here. Uh, Matt said for showdown, do you tend to tend to unique random fills since it is zero 10 split on the sliders or still build 150, run a contest in for the first down and then grab 20 lineups there. Um, I would especially knowing that our field lineups are capped at 5,000 for the time being, I think you can pretty safely group everything together. Um, I I have been, for what, for what it's worth. I've been grouping my showdown builds entirely together, building for all of my showdown contests, running a single sim using the largest contest that I'm entering it into and, and letting it rip from there. Especially like we don't even have the contest specific fields for showdown period. I, I at that point you're really just playing the difference in payout structure. If you were playing, you know, maybe if you're playing massively different payout structure contests, it um it could work out. But I mean, all of the EV in like any of these showdown contests is ultimately going to be in mostly in first place. So I think it 
just for the ease of time, it's probably just easiest to. I would I would uh, unique random. I have been unique random filling my entire build into all of the contests I'm playing using a single contest sim for showdown. Um, as we can get better and better on having different fields for different stake sizes and having larger fields that represent the size of these contests better, then you will absolutely want to split these up. And in fact, it may become the most important game type to split them up as much as possible because a lineup is going to be have such a different EV if it is duped twice in a 5,000 lineup person contest than if it is duped 200 times in a 250,000 person contest. But for now, yeah, I think it's it's uh it's it's easiest to just group them together. So um, Ryan said NBA and MLB DFS is the best because you have plenty of days to realize your EV. NFL DFS always gets me uncomfortable because you always feel like you'll never get anything. Yeah, I mean that's a realistic outcome playing 18 regular season slates, right? I mean, going back to the month example profitable six days a month out of every uh out of every 30 days you're playing that doesn't mean you're going to be profitable every fifth day right you could very easily be unprop you could you could be a profitable nfl dfs player and brick every single nfl main slate um one thing that i do if you can if you can handle it uh is and this isn't strictly part of the dfs profit plan but i think it can be a way to smooth out some of that variance is instead of sitting down on Sunday morning and saying I'm playing my 5% or 2.5% of my bankroll into the Sunday main slate and crossing my fingers, I play a lot more slates in NFL than I do in other sports. Like MLBs every day. So you play the main slate every day. You're going to have enough shots on goal there to realize some, some equity. Same thing with NBA. You can have a down season, but it's a little bit harder with all the slates and all the days there are to play. For football, I am much more interested in spreading that out. And I will typically try to play instead of just like jamming into the main slate, I'll play the, a lot of the different showdowns. I'll play the early slate and the afternoon slate and play a little bit less on the main slate. Um, and I think that can kind of help to smooth some of that out, especially if you just end up being very wrong on a game, right? Like um, I was wrong on the, on the Eagles game this weekend. I did. I, have, I don't think I had any, I had very little AJ Brown in the main slate. And that's just like, it could just be over for you. I didn't even have a lot of bills either. Like I, I just didn't play a lot of those particular stacks for the main slate. That, and that just like crushes you for your equity on the, the main slate. But you're still live on any of the showdowns you played, right? You're live on the afternoon slate. You're live on the, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that that that's where you're still live. And I want to be clear that if you're playing 5% of your volume in the main slate, 5% of your bankroll or something like that in the main slate normally for NFL, I'm not saying to suddenly invest 40% of your bankroll entering everything you can find on an NFL Sunday. Like you would be scaling what you're playing into each of those contests way back, but it gives you more opportunities to realize some of your equity there into different contests and different slate types. I think that can be a useful way to smooth some of that out. So uh, Ryan says Sabersim supporting NBA for owner's box. Yes, that's the plan. Um, Ricky said is showdown slates is the correlation dial preferred to be set on high like GPP? Uh, no. And it kind of goes back to the way that we, that when we were talking about the correlation earlier, right? Because in showdown, you want the optimal for a given game script of the way that the game could play out, right? 
let's say DK Metcalf is in the captain, is the op, is the optimal captain, right? Let's just say we know that. Geno Smith is going to be optimal in the flex often. Those are those are correlated players. Geno Smith is not going to be optimal in the flex spot 100% of the time, right? The Sims will help you identify how often that combination should happen, right? We can actually look at this here. Let's do this because this will be fun, right? But you don't want to, I guess what, what, I'm, what I'm really trying to say though is you don't want to increase the correlation slider to start overvaluing the correlation of those players above and beyond how often that combination is actually the optimal. And that as you increase the correlation slider, this is actually true of groups too, which is why I hate I hate groups in showdown because they are going to take average heuristics and rules of thumb about players that are correlated on the average and force those combinations to do 100% of your lineups, right? You don't have to tell Sabersim, hey, if a wide receiver is the optimal captain, you should want to use a quarterback at flex. Because we're building the lineups as optimals for individual Sims, we already know that most of your DK Metcalf lineups will not will have Geno Smith in the flex because it that lineup was not just randomly generated or built on average projections. There was a sim where DK Metcalf was the optimal captain. So if he scored, if he went for 200 yards and two touchdowns, who threw 200 yards and two touchdowns? At least Geno Smith. But there are game scripts where it's DK Metcalf optimal and it's not Geno Smith as the optimal captain, right? Maybe the game shoots out and a ton of guys score and it's actually like lower salary guys that end up in the, the game. Or um, <clears throat> maybe it's a very low scoring game where the only guy that produced it all was DK Metcalf, but 10,000 for Geno Smith at the flex was not optimal, right? You want to allow those game scripts in there. It's made, wor it's made worse by the fact that the field that you're playing against hand building and using average projections is all is going to program a lot of those types of rules into their optimizer. So not only are you getting a worse quality portfolio of lineups out on the other side, you're also probably duping more with the field that has to use those rules. Um, but let's look at this real quick because I'm curious. So if we take um, DK Metcalf, we have 108 lineups in our pool that have DK Metcalf and we say, no Geno Smith and flex. So there are 14 lineups in our pool with DK Metcalf as the captain and no Geno Smith in the flex out of 108 DK Metcalf captain lineups. And this is only with 500 lineups, right? This would get a little more precise with 5,000, but this is the point exactly that I was trying to make, right? Is the Sims clearly know that, that those two players are positively correlated. And when DK Metcalf is the optimal captain, a lot of those Sims have Geno Smith as the flex, but you don't want to increase the correlation slider or start setting rules that overinflate how often that combination actually works. And some of these kinds of lineups are actually some of the, I think the most profitable lineups, not necessarily saying that like, this is always the way to do it, but the, the, NFL showdown lineups that prey on common rules that people like to play together oftentimes can be pretty profitable into these contests because you are playing in a way that the field almost can't because somebody using an average average projections and trying to build functional lineups with their optimizer, they have to rely on these rules and they just have to take the downside associated with that. But this lineup, for example, right? If we just look at this lineup right here at the top, let's see. Um, 
right, it's not working the way I said it. This lineup, this lineup right here at the top, right? There is a sim in our thousands of sims for this game where this lineup was was the optimal lineup, right? Um, it doesn't grade out super well based on the contest sims. It's a profitable lineup, but it kind of tosses aside all the traditional rules of thumb. I would say that this lineup probably has a very good chance to be unique tonight. And we know that it has some equity here because it, it first of all, that it came, it's an optimal lineup that came out of the sim. It, it's grades out profitably, right? It's very low salary. It plays two running backs from Seattle. It plays DK Metcalf as the optimal captain with no Geno Smith, right? Like these kinds of lineups are the things that you almost earn the right to play using a sim based platform because you can toss aside the rules of thumb and the average correlations between players and just play low duplicated optimal lineups. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's a good question. Okay. A couple more questions. We'll get caught back up on discord here and then we will wrap up here. So going back to what we were talking about earlier, um, when you say the second sim, are you talking about making them the field lineups and sending them against them? Yeah. So going way back to what we were talking about earlier, talking about some like portfolio management stuff. Yes. So the idea would be, um, yeah, I guess the short answer is yes. So the, the idea is, is running your initial contest sim, which is each lineup played into the contest that you're planning on playing them into. And that's going to give you an idea of, okay, what lineups, what individual lineups are the most profitable ones to play in this contest, right? The second contest sim would be running that subset of optimal, of good lineups against each other. And on that one, you're saying, what is the best portfolio of these lineups to play, Right. Because if all, if let's say 70% of your top lineups are bill stacks. Well, when you sim those lineups against each other on the second time, the bill stacks in that subset have become chalky in that kind of, in that kind of contest that you're creating there. So it's actually going to bring down some of your bill stacks in favor of other stacks that are showing up less often in that isolated subset. So it has this, this um, effect of diversifying your second pool there. So, yeah, it's kind of kind of cool. I, I think maybe there's um, a pro video to talk about that more um, because we're getting kind of deeper into some contest sim stuff there that isn't always the best fit for office hours. Um, where people are kind of getting familiar with how to use the contest sims, just period. Um, but I think there's kind of a, a cool idea there for sure. Um, cool. Uh, Chas says, can you explain how you come up with the number of dupes you are trying to get out of your pool? Is it a universal number? Thank you. So it's, it's not. And this is kind of an interesting part about showdown strategy and just like the dupes conversation in general. Um, I, I would say if I had to boil it down to a generalized statement, you want to play the lineups that are, that should be duped a lot more than they are, right? That might be playing lineups that are unique, that should have been duped 10 times, if everybody was playing perfectly efficient, right? 
That might mean sometimes playing lineups that should be duped a thousand times that are duped 200 times, right? Ultimately, you are trying to play the most profitable lineups possible while accounting for dupes. If a lineup is expected to be if a lineup is expected to be duped a hundred times, but it's the most profitable lineup you can play, you should still play it. Um, it is pretty hard to balance all these different things and quantify these different factors of how often is the lineup going to be optimal versus how often do I think the field is going to play that lineup, um, even with a contest sim, because there there is this the meta game then of like okay if everybody thinks this lineup is the least likely to be duped most profitable lineup then how often is it actually going to be duped? Um, so this kind of conversation, I think, gets boiled down a lot to people just saying, okay, try to play unique lineups. Um, but that can be a little bit of a race to the bottom sometimes where everybody ends up playing or you just end up playing poor lineups um, and you're counting on the field playing in a very certain specific direction. So what I have been trying to do when it comes to my process, the way I think about this is building my pool of lineups to use for that slate and running the contest sim to get a sense of what lineups are likely to be profitable. And then finding the ways that I can identify and remove the lineups that are going to be overwhelmingly popular in my pool. Um, it is possible that profitable lineups could be eliminated there but I think it is harder for a lineup to be duped a hundred plus times and be profitable in a large field showdown. Whereas figuring out if a lineup that was duped 12 times should have been duped 40 or two is challenging, but it does put you in a better position to succeed and share less of your equity when the lineup is optimal. And I think the odds are that those, um, lineups are more profitable. So all of this to say, I, I build my pool of lineups, I'm running my contest sim, I'm sorting by risk adjusted ROI, and then using the dupe calculation in the contest sim, using salary and using geomean of ownership based filters, I try to just trim off as much off the top there of lineups that I think are going to be exceptionally high duped. Um, and I think all those things kind of come together to build a pretty decent pool of lineups that are avoiding the most popular constructions. So. Um, Don't be soy said, uh, is SaberSim still trying to perfect SaberScore or is it all in on Sims at this point? Um, I'm going to share this. Um, Shady pulled this up in Discord here. Um, but this is a pretty cool plot if you guys haven't seen this yet. Um, oops, let me see. Um, this is kind of the main takeaway here. Um, but this guy on Twitter uh, plotted this out here, plotting Saber score against um, ROI and the, the Sunday Millie Maker and said that Saber score um, basically is capturing 80% of the, the, the variance of sorting by ROI. Um, that honestly doesn't come as a ton of surprise to me, is that as awesome as that is to see, because Saber score was developed and built using the contest sim, right? The contest sim, we, we originally built the contest sims on our back end to 
optimize Saber Score, and only later was it built for and released as a product. Um, the contest sims were, and there's an entire um, series on our YouTube channel breaking this down. If you want to see how these ultimately got built, it's kind of cool, especially knowing. So it's in the behind the sims, especially knowing what the contest sims ultimately became. But this contest simulations uh, series here was basically us building the contest sim that was used to backtest and optimize the Saber score weighting metrics and uh, create new sliders and create a new Saber score weighting. This, um, basically the back end of this became the contest sims as you know it now as the Saber sim product. So it, it's a pretty cool series. If you like this kind of stuff, there's like probably six hours or so total of content here. Um, but all of this to say is, is in, for this particular question, we're pretty happy with way, the way, where Saber score is at. And I think if you're on standard or pro, you are getting a great product in the form of Saber score and in terms of sorting your lineups. Contest sims just go one step beyond that um, to calculate ROI in a little bit more of a direct way. But the, the Saber score metric does a pretty good job there of capturing that. So. Cool. Um, one final person asking about the player fill player filters again, Archangel Aaron. Uh, yeah, it's a bug. Um, it is on our list to fix. So they will work. So if you set a player filter and say uh, my projection greater than one, it's an old school one for me. I don't use this so much anymore, but I used to use this one a lot for a showdown. Uh, it will work when you run the build in terms of the players that are actually used for that build, but the player filter will drop off after that and you'll have to re-add it back in if you want to use it again. Purely a bug. It's on our list. So, All right. I think we are going to cap it off there. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in here today. Uh, if you have been watching along, watching live, or you catch this as a recording after and you are not already signed up for SaberSim, do have a free trial on our site. Five days for free, sabersim.com. So come check it out. Check out the contest sims, play-by-play -play sims, contest flashback, all kinds of awesome features there. Uh, Andrew will be back here tomorrow. So if you missed Andrew the past couple days, uh, he'll be back on tomorrow. Um, Carrington said, wait, talk about the custom features you use again. What, what, uh, I don't know. What custom features? I'm not, I'm not sure what you are referring to actually. Um, for showdown. I, all I was saying, maybe just towards the end, I, I used to set a rule. Maybe this is what you're talking about. I used to set a rule to filter out some bottom, like, project guys i don't even i don't even want to draw attention to it because i wouldn't recommend doing this anymore all i was doing was showing off was basically walking through the player filters bug uh and um just wanted to use a viable player filter to give the example of how to show the bug but basically all it does is it removes the bottom players from your pool so guys projected for less than a point in this case it's just sterling shepherd um but like i i think sometimes these are good plays in here to have sometimes right to trickle in in one percent of your lineups so Oh, Carrington said, uh, the geo mean for dupes, something referring to salary. Yeah, so, I mean, okay, so we'll talk about this a little bit. There's, and this isn't an exact science, right? But, like, to me, when, I, when I'm when i trying to think about 
what lineups to eliminate from the top of my pool. I am trying to eliminate the lineups that are excessive, that, that I think are going to be excessively high duped, right? So, all right, let's experiment with this a little bit. Um, let's build a pool. I'm going to use 2000 here. And I would probably do this up to 5,000 lineups if I was doing this off stream. It's going to take a little while to build. But basically when I'm running my builds, I'm like, rather than saying I want to play these, I'm saying I don't want to play these. And I'm trying to find ways to just trim off the fat of lineups that are going to be, I think, much more likely to be duped in my pool. And I think the main ways that you can do that are things lineups that are going to be duped, like that are duped in the field lineups, right? Uh, lineups that are um, that have a very high geomean of ownership, and maybe some way to think about incorporating projection and salary in there. But I think those are, I think those can be tougher um, to incorporate well. But we'll let these build, and I'll, I'll kind of give a couple examples of the ways that I would I would think about this. But again, it's not. If there was a set of rules that I would just say, just plug and play, just put these in and you're good to go, I would I would say that. But in reality, in practice, this ends up kind of becoming a little bit more slate dependent in terms of what you can get done here. But let's build this here. And let's run a contest sim. Yeah, that looks good. And let's see how this looks. All right. So what I might start with here is a filter to just eliminate unprofitable lineups, right? And you could even raise the floor on this a little bit, but I might just say, let's get rid of the lineups that don't grade out profitably in the contest. Then. So that's kind of step one. So that's going to trash 800 of our lineups here that didn't even grade out as profitable, right? So now we have this pool of lineups and let's sort this by ROI or risk adjusted is fine. That's good, right? So these lineups are now going to start grading out pretty well here, right? Um, what I want to kind of start doing now is identifying lineups that maybe are more likely to be duplicated higher than our 5,000 field lineups might otherwise indicate, right? So let's say first, let's just experiment with the idea of saying no lineups that are duped at all, even in our 5,000 lineup field. If it showed up in our 5,000 lineup field, we're not gonna we're not gonna play it here. And let's just see how many lineups we kind of end up with. Wait, hide lineups greater than zero. Okay. So now we're showing any, so any lineup that showed up in our field, in our 5,000 lineup field, we're just not going to play at all, right? With the idea being that this is for a, we're going to enter these into a very large field contest where if a lineup showed up in our 5,000 lineup field, it might be duped a lot more in the other field. Um, now let's say we're also going to filter by geometric mean of ownership. So um, first of all, I'm going to go kind of quick here. Um, if you want to learn more about GeoMean of ownership and what it actually, oh, where is it? Ownership? 
there it is. Um, if you search ownership in our support help docs here, um, this is going to explain more on what this calculation actually is, but it is basically assuming each player get, getting played into any given lineup is an independent event and using the probability of a player putting what player one, two, three, four, five, and six into their lineup as a way to calculate how likely it is to be duped. So let's say we're entering this into the mini max and we want to say each lineup is duped less than 20 times. So we could do 20 divided by the contest. I know I'm going fast. I'm going to confuse the hell out of somebody watching this, but this is the calculation here. Um, and then we take this to the one divided by six, where six is the number of players in the DFS lineup. And the geo mean of ownership to reduce your lineups to being expected to being duped 20 or 20 or less times is about 21. So I also have a geo mean filter here. So I'm going to set a filter as well to geo mean uh, less than show lineups geo mean less than 21, right? Which is going to then trim off another big percentage of the pool here. Right. This is trimming off any lineup that based on geo mean of ownership is expected to be duped less than duped more than 20 times. So now we're at a pool of 148. This is what I was talking about earlier, where you, uh, if you start doing stuff like this, like why not, why, why not use min uniques in showdown? Well, if you are starting to filter your pool down like this and trying to find unique builds, you are going to, um, you can potentially start having a much smaller effective pool than you expected. So now, as we are approaching a pool where maybe we're building more unique lineups, and you can kind of you can kind of start to spot check these and see like does does that actually make sense? Is that in in terms of that being a unique lineup, right? Um, things that are leaving a little bit of salary on the table, I think, stands out as as um, good ways to get unique here. Um, fading particularly popular plays, I think, can also make some sense. I often like to go in and start spot checking my actual exposures here and seeing okay who's Who's popping up here? And especially are there players in my pool that show up very little in my pool um, that I do or don't necessarily want to play, right? Um, like Wandale Watt Robinson showed up in seven out of my 2000 original lineups in my pool here. He was optimal 0.4% of the time in our Sims. Maybe he can get there, right? Maybe I want to fade that, right? As like at this point, I'm like cross-checking the quality of the lineups. I, I'm happy with where I look. I feel like I'm at for dupes, but I want to cross-check lineup quality, right? And I just look through and see, you know, how often are very low, very low likely to be optimal players popping up in the pool. And you can kind of clean up here and maybe X out a couple players that are showing up very infrequently in the pool. Um, and again, this is not an exact science. This is kind of like... Where's that line for you of how, how willing you are to play a particular player? But what we have ended up at here is a lineup, a, a pool of lineups that we know are profitable that we think are much less likely to be duped in our build here. Um, if you wanted to take this one step further, I think you could do something like a custom metric kind of like what we were doing before and say, you know, ROI projection plus salary adjusted. Projection and salary are two other decent signals for duplication in showdown because especially traditional optimizers, 
are going to jam in very high projected lineups and also very full salary lineups. So by leaving a little salary on the table or playing lineups that are average projected a little bit lower relative to, to other lineups with the same chance of being optimal, you can get a little bit of an edge there. So maybe we do something like, let's take the risk adjusted ROI and normalize it and put a positive weight of one, but de-weight that by projection. So we say, so maybe minus 0.25 and we take salary as well. So salary normalized minus 0.25. And now we use this as our sorting method. So of our kind of 148 lineups that we left available to ourselves to choose from, instead of sorting by pure risk-adjusted ROI, maybe now we're sorting by a risk-adjusted ROI that incentivizes uh, a lower projection and a lower salary, right? So we're going to see some lower salary builds start to pop up a little bit higher to the top here. And we're like slowly dialing in on a set of 20 lineups that might be much lower duplicated than what the field is going to play. So, but the last point on this, right? This is where it all comes full circle. This is where it all gets kind of like this weird brain melting metagame is there's a bunch of you watching this here with me right now, right? If you, if you all do this the exact same way, some of these lineups that maybe were expected to be duped one time might end up being duped more. Or not even if everybody on Saberson, like there's a lot of people thinking about dupes. So there's this, there's this kind of sliding scale of like what are actually going to be the most duped lineups. So something to think about there with, with the way that you set this up. But those are, that's kind of the tools that I think are at my disposal most of the time to do this is like the contest in itself to identify what lineups are profitable, the dupe score, geo mean of ownership, and projection and salary as tools to identify what lineups might be more duplicated than the field lineups imply. Um, and then a little bit of cross-checking the actual exposures you're actually getting, right? And like spot checking the lineups themselves to just make sure you're happy with that. So. All right, I do have to go now. Um, I'm glad we got to spend a little bit of time on that. I'm going to wrap up the stream there. If you have questions for me that didn't get answered today, I think we got to all of them, but if you have questions, didn't get them answered today, Andrew will be back tomorrow. Um, you can fire away questions in the Office Hours channel in Discord and he'll get to them on tomorrow's show. Uh, I'm excited for the slate now. We we uh, it's kind of interesting to see the angle that showed up here in this last final build. Like some some defense is showing up here. Um, the uh, couple Seattle skill position players did the was my hunch on Giants stacks. Eh, not really. We didn't. We don't have a lot of Giants stacks showing up as optimal in the pool. So we're not getting a lot of them out on the other side either. But um, yeah, should be an interesting slate. Um, in the meantime, I will see everybody later. Thanks for tuning in.